I don't know if you've ever been in a near accident in their vehicle, a close call that might have almost wrecked you or perhaps you just narrowly escaped. I can think of a couple of times in particular where that happened within my own life. I remember I was driving home late one Wednesday evening from, from church while I was in Bible college. And to this day, I don't remember particular. I, I, I don't even fully know what happened in that moment. All I know is it's dark. I'm driving along the interstate, and there's a vehicle that begins to swerve into my lane. There's sparks that go flying. There's tires that are screeching. And without missing a beat, without anything, I swerve my vehicle over. I get into the next lane. Even I get into the halfway into the shoulder onto the rumble strip, and then I'm back up on the road, and I continue on. And all that I had on my vehicle, my mirror was bent in from where I actually smacked the side of the car that had come into my lane, and there was a little bit of scratches along the side of my car, but that was it. I was okay. I pulled over, and I looked behind me, and I saw that there were uh, several vehicles that were involved in the accident. It was a very close call. I can remember another time when, uh, again, this was another Wednesday evening. I was particularly tired that day. I was driving home from church, and I fell asleep driving. I drifted over into the rumble strip. The rumble strip woke me up. I opened my eyes. I see directly in front of me the taillights of the vehicle in front of me. I look in my rearview mirror and I see headlights from a vehicle directly behind me. I look out my left side window and I see the vehicle right beside me that way if I had drifted any other direction other than to the right. An accident would have been caused. Again, another close call. (laughs) <laughs> what I did that on that night was I immediately pulled off on the next exit. I got myself a Dr. Pepper. and I need to survive the ride home because I just, that's, that's what I did. I got myself an energy drink through, the, yeah, to, to, I, I, to stay alive. Yeah, I needed to stay alive. I don't know if you've ever had experience like that. Near misses, close calls where it's like, whew. And then what do we say at the end of that? Thank you, Lord. Yes. Lord, thank you for preserving my life. Thank you for that. We, we praise him in the midst of that. That's the proper response that we ought to have. But why? Why should we thank him in that moment? I don't know if you ever stopped to, to think about what is it in particular that I'm actually thanking God for in that moment. He preserved us through what means. In that moment, I can think of my own experiences just just very slight muscle movements of my arms going like this, zipping around, acting almost instinctively. I wasn't even thinking consciously of it. Oh, I need to move. You know, it was just boom, boom, real quick. Well, that, what, what happened in that moment? The tiniest muscle movements. And there's the rumble strip there on the side of the road that woke me up in the second instance. I'm thanking God in that moment for His overall provision... He orchestrated the events in such a way that preserved my life. The term that is used for this is the concept of providence. Divine providence within our lives. It is God's care for His children. There's one pastor who defined providence in this way. He says it is God's purposeful and intentional sovereignty over the details of your life such that He accomplishes His good purposes through them. Providence is God's purposeful and intentional sovereignty over the details of your life such that He accomplishes His good purposes 
through them. <clears throat> that is what I experienced that night on those, those near-miss accidents. And this is what we see playing out for us in the book of Ruth. We see it played out in the lives of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, where we see God's purposes being accomplished through His providence over their lives. Uh, I invite you to turn to the book of Ruth now. We're going to be considering Ruth chapter 2 this morning. If you would allow me, it's been a few weeks since we've studied the book of Ruth, so I'm just going to remind us of where we've been prior to this. This is, of course, during the time of the judges. There's a famine in the land that drove the family of Elimelech and Naomi into the land of Moab in search of food. And not only did they find food there, but they found wives for their two sons. However, in the providence of God, the men of the family all die, leaving Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth all widows. After some time, Naomi hears a report that God has blessed Israel with good crops. Once again, she determines that it is time to return, uh, good crops once again, so she determines it's time to return home. She bids her daughters-in-law to remain in Moab, that they may seek out spouses amongst their own people. Orpah, through tears, agrees and heeds and returns home. Ruth, however, refuses. She confesses Yahweh as the one true God and commits to remaining with her mother-in-law through the rest of her days. So the two of them return to the land together. Uh, when they arrive, there are many people amazed. Oh, wow, is this, is this really Naomi? Has she really come back? Hearing this, Naomi says, no, don't, don't, don't call me that. Naomi means pleasant. My life has not been pleasant. Call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. She says, I went away full, but I returned empty. And last time we studied Ruth, we noted how Ruth sees God's providence in these events, but she views it as something that is against her for, for harm to bring judgment into her life. She doesn't have a vision for what God is going to do, and so she seems to, she seems to fail to see the good that God has brought into her life. She, she doesn't see the good that Ruth is to her. And though she can't see it yet, she will eventually, though, begin to see how God's providence works for the good of His children. Last time we talked about the concept of, of God's providence being at work even through pain and difficult circumstances. Together, I want us to consider how God's providence is at work even through just the regular mundane circumstances of life, what even might seem like coincidences to us. God's providence is at work. So I'm going to read Ruth chapter 2, and I'm going to read it in its entirety, and then we're going to make some comments and observations in application from the text. This is Ruth chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of, the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him who, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, 
who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young, men who, young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, well, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves and after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young, men, to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land to come to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and, and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied. And she had some left over. When she arose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, but do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with this young man, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Well, the story continues to develop. This chapter opens up with a statement about Boaz, indicating for us that this section is really serving to highlight this, this man and his character. In, in verse 1, it says that he is a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. That's, the, that's how the ESV translates it. He is a worthy man, but really that's an actually an interesting word choice by the author there. In most places where this word is used throughout the Old Testament, 
It speaks of someone being a mighty man, often of a great warrior. And so some of the translations translate this with with the idea that, man, this was a man mighty in wealth. They think he is a wealthy man. So the King James, the New King James, the New American Standard, they all translate it this way to communicate that he was a mighty man of wealth. Well, the CSB, the NIV, they seem to take this idea as more communicating that he had influence in the community. And so they say that he was a prominent man. He was a man of standing. However however it is that we translate this word, it's clear from the context that that it is trying to communicate something that this is not just an ordinary individual. There's something unique about Boaz. There's something special about him. He is a man who, there's some level of substance to his life. He is mighty in deed or mighty in wealth or mighty in character. And that is what we shall see as it is borne out through the text, just from way of observation through how he has so many servants working for him and different people within his fields. We can conclude that he is a man of great wealth, and even we'll see that even as we move into the latter portions of the book. So he is certainly a man of great wealth. He is a man of great influence and great character as well. And so with that editorial comment, the the narrator kind of sets the stage for us to understand who is this man and what should we expect to flow out from his life. And then he moves on to resume the narrative of the rest of the story as he continues on. And so we see that Ruth, she's going to go out into the field. She intends to glean grain so that Naomi and Ruth would have food to eat. Now, we need to understand a little bit of the context of what's going on with with that kind of activity. What is happening there? Well, as we know, Ruth and Naomi are both widows. They don't have husbands, and thus would have been considered among the most vulnerable of the society. God created men to provide and to protect, and these women are left without both provision and protection. And a common way that those who were destitute would get the food that they needed was to go gleaning in the fields. So what would happen? The harvest, they would be, the grain would be growing. The, the harvesters would go out into the field to, to harvest the grain. They'd be cutting the stalks down. They'd be bundling it up together. Well, it's impossible to have 100% efficiency with that process, right? A, a stalk of wheat is very thin. It's very small. Oftentimes, they get dropped upon the ground as you're scooping things up and carrying them away. And the gleaners would come along, and they would go, and they would pick up the stalks that were accidentally dropped, and then they would take that home with them, and they would use that to make their flour, to make their bread, in order to have the food that they needed. And those who had no other means of supporting themselves, that is how they would go about living their lives and getting the food that they needed. In some ways, I might illustrate this even just by uh, just some, my own experience working electrical. It was often that you know, when you're wiring a house, there will be scrap cuts of wire that end up getting not being used at all, and often they're just left on the job site. The, the boss might just conclude that it's not worth the time to pay his employees to pick it all up, so he says, just leave it, move on to the next house. we got to keep moving. There's lots to do. Well, then the scrappers come into the house after that, and they're picking up all the scraps, and they're turning it in in order to make a few bucks that way. That's kind of the idea of what's happening there. There's, there's gleanings occurring. Well, such what would be common to human nature, there would be some farmers who would seek to, 
to pick up all the gleanings. And there are some electrical companies that conclude that it is worth it to pick up all the scraps, all the wire, and not leave it leaving behind. Well, there would be some farmers as well that would seek to pick up all of the pieces that would have been fallen by the wayside as well. However, God made provisions within His law that forbade farmers from picking up the gleanings themselves. But rather, they were to leave them intentionally for the sake of the poor and the destitute. This was an intentional way so that people that the people could farm and provide for their own families, but also look out for their destitute brothers and sisters, not as a handout, but rather to give them an opportunity to work for their food. Thus, no one was expected to go without, and no one was expected to be lazy and to not work for their living. Nevertheless, if you are a gleaner, this does reflect upon your situation. It wouldn't reflect upon your character necessarily, but it would reflect upon your situation. Gleaners are poor individuals. They don't have the means of supporting themselves through other means. They don't have a lot going for them. And Ruth and Naomi were in a situation where the only means that they had supporting themselves was through this gleaning. But hey, it's a start, right? It's, it's, it's a way to live. And so Ruth goes out and Naomi says, yes, go out and start gleaning in the fields. And then we immediately see God's providence at work as she see, see, sets out to be a faithful and dutiful daughter-in-law to Naomi. God blesses her by directing her steps. Look at verse 3 where it says that she went out and gleaned in the field after the reapers and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Literally, the phrase where it speaks of she happened to come in the Hebrew, it, 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 it's, there's a double stacking of terms there. She just, she happened to happen upon the field of Boaz. And it speaks of it almost as, as pure happenstance, like, oh, what a coincidence that this is. Now, we know biblically that there really are no such things as coincidences Right? Ruth didn't just happen to arrive at Boaz's field. Out of all the fields in Israel, this is the one just by dumb blind luck she happens to stumble upon. Now we know that this is a divine orchestration. And it seems that the narrator is almost using the phrase with kind of like a wink and a nod. Just like, oh yeah, she just, she just happened to come into this field. Like, like as if it really was by, by pure happenstance or chance that this would have occurred. And often we use phrases like this, don't we, in just everyday life. Like if you just stumble upon like a quarter or something in the street, like, oh, lucky me, I found a quarter in the streets, right? How fortunate I am. You know, we, we use phrases like this. And I have a friend who always calls me out when I use that kind of language. And whenever I say stuff like, oh, yeah, we were, you know, fortunately this such and such a thing happened. And, and he would say, oh, fortunately, huh? I didn't realize we were being pagans today. And he would just tease me about it because he's like, oh, only pagans believe in luck and fortune. And of course, he's, he's, he's making a joke about it. But in a way, he's also making a serious point. It isn't just coincidence. It isn't just the, you know, the universe just blindly spinning and, and being lucky for us or whatever else. And so then I'm forced to rephrase how I talk about things. Oh, it was so providential that such and such a thing happened. 
we make a joke out of it. But there's, there's a serious point there. Because the reality is, is that God's provision, His providence over our lives, it's even over the dice rolls that we roll. That's what the Word of God says. The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. God is providentially overseeing all of these details. Ruth didn't happen across this field. Rather, she was providentially directed there by Almighty God who would use these events to bring about not just the, the provision for food for Ruth and Naomi, not just a, a husband for Ruth, not just eventually a line through which the godly King David would come, but eventually Jesus the Messiah would eventually come through this happening of Ruth stumbling upon this field. As we read on, we find that Boaz is truly a godly man. The way he greets his workers with a blessing from the Lord and how they return that to him. In verse 9, we see that he tells Ruth that he has instructed his men not to touch her, not to be inappropriate to her, not to, not to prevent her from doing the job that she has set out to do. When he hears about who Ruth is and what she has done, he is, he's impressed by this. He, he, he rejoices in this and he gives her a blessing in verse 12. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. And he has enough of a positive reputation of being a man of integrity that when Ruth reports to Naomi where she has been gleaning, Naomi is pleased and says she should always work in Boaz's field. And she notes how Boaz's field is a safe place where she can be confident that she will not be assaulted. Because one of the things that we have to remember is that this is during the time of the judges. And we remember how awful things were during the time of the judges and the sins and the tragedies that occurred within the nation of Israel and the maltreatment of women that occurred. And yet in Boaz's field, Ruth is safe. pious men of integrity who would have been considered safe and also I would say even the right kind of dangerous those would have been hard to come by in the land of Israel at that time but Boaz is such a man he instructs his men not to touch her and he provides a safe place for her that she may seek to provide for herself and for her mother-in-law but for Ruth, he's actually, he's actually doing a little bit more than just that. He's not just providing a safe place. He's not just providing that. He's, he's really going over the top than, than just acting honorably with how God instructs in His Word about how to leave gleanings. He's, he's carrying things so much further. There's an overabundance of grace and favor that is, that is shown upon Ruth. So much of this, she doesn't understand why this is happening. She's like, who am I? I'm a foreigner. Like, why are you treating me this way? I don't understand this. I'm not even an Israelite. But he provides just this over-a-top abundance for her. He not only has given her protection from those who might mistreat her, not only has, she, has he given her food by the fire and refreshment from the, from the drink, the water that is drawn out of the well, but he instructs his workers to throw down extra grain for her and also to allow her to glean where no one else is allowed to glean amongst the sheaves themselves. His provision for her 
It's completely over the top. So much so that when she comes home with her, it says an ephah of barley, that that is just a mind-blowing amount for gleaning in a field that you shouldn't be able to come home with that much grain. And Naomi is amazed, like, how did you get so much? It is because of Boaz's overabundance and favor that he is showing to this Moabite woman. By way of illustration, I think of my time back when I, again, this goes back to my college days. I worked at a pizza hut. I was a pizza delivery driver, delivering pizzas. And sometimes when you work at, in, in these restaurants, there'd be pizzas that would be cooked, but either some, no one would come to pick them up or maybe the order was wrong. And so they would just sit in the warmer for hours. And eventually at the end of the day, when, there was, when they're not being claimed, there's nothing happening there. They take all of those pizzas. By policy, they get thrown away. But our store, we stuck them in the freezer. And once a week, there would be a representative that would come from the local homeless shelter, and he would take the stack of frozen pizzas, take it back to the homeless shelter, they would reheat them and feed them to the people. Just kind of a neat thing that would happen there. Well, as I think about that, that provision that, that, was being, that was occurring there, if we think about it in an over-the-top way, we could think of Boaz's actions would be like if the manager of Pizza Hut not just took those pizzas and put them in the freezer to save them for the homeless shelter, but intentionally miscooked pizzas or intentionally cooked more pizzas than were ordered for the purpose of having an abundance of unused or uneaten pizzas that could be sent over to uh, the homeless shelter, right? That, that would not be something that would be normal. There would be extra grace being dispensed through those kinds of actions, and I think about it, that's a similar way of what Boaz is doing. This is just over the top. This is an overabundance of favor and grace and provision that is provided here. And through it all, Naomi, now she's finally coming around to seeing a little bit of what God is doing. And she says, look at verse 20. Naomi says to her daughter-in-law, Oh, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now, that's a remarkable change for Naomi. That's a remarkable change for her. At the end of, of chapter uh, 1, she says that the Lord has brought me back empty. She says the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. The Lord has brought calamity upon me. She's, she's just in this very distraught place of grief within her life, and she views God as being against her. Well, now here she's come around and she sees this, this abundant provision by Boaz, who happens to be a near relative, and we're going to talk more about that concept next week, Lord willing. Uh, but, but she sees this provision as, oh, the Lord is dealing it kindly with me. He has not forsaken the living or the dead. She begins to see God's providence through these events. God was indeed showing kindness to Naomi and to Ruth. Well, there's so much that could be said about as we just continue to make observations from the text. I do want to provide us just a few, a few things that we can learn just from this episode in this story as we continue to reflect upon the, the providence of God, how it overarches all things. And we think uh, God's providence is present even in the mundane and what we might consider the coincidences of life. It's present everywhere. We, we go through life and we just, we're just seeking to live our life, but, 
But really, God is at work in all of these things. You know, I think of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where it calls us to trust the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He directs your paths. As we acknowledge the Lord, we're acknowledging His work within our lives. God's providence is present, even what seems just like the mundane aspects of everyday life. Ruth just happened to come to this field. I just happened to drift my vehicle into the rumble strip. It's God's providence. Like, like He is working. These aren't just coincidences. This is God's divine providence actively at work within our lives. And back in chapter 1, we had to wrestle with this God's providence, even in the midst of pain and hardship. And here we see, just in the everyday details of life, what feels like just happenstance. God is at work doing things. I could illustrate this from the New Testament, even as uh, when we were going through the book of Philippians, and Paul was in prison. And he was able to say, you know what? I'm in prison right now. And it might not seem like the best of circumstances, but God is at work here. The whole Praetorian Guard has heard the gospel because I was in prison. It's God's providence. And we see sometimes, like in the book of Ruth and in Philippians and and throughout different places in the passage of Scripture, we see God at work in different ways. And every once in a while, through the pages of Scripture, He's he's pulling back the curtain for us, us, giving us that glimpse, giving us that peek of what's going on behind the scenes, seeing how He is at work within the lives of the characters of this book. And every once in a while, even within our own lives, we can look back and see, you know what? God was doing stuff in my life to bring me to this moment. And, and I, maybe I didn't know what was happening at that time, but I see His providence at work now. And, and God gives us that blessing of being able to see that from time to time. We don't always get to see behind the curtain. But those times that He does give us those peaks and those glimpses, that should bolster our faith so that we would trust Him all the more, even when we can't see what's going on. The glimpses that He does give us give us the faith and the confidence to trust that He is still at work. And really, I think the reality is that if God were to show us all the things that He is doing in just, just in our own lives, forget about all the stuff going on throughout all around the world, but just in our own lives, I really think it would, it would blow our minds, right? It would just... You know, maybe even send us into a comatose state, just being overwhelmed at the immensity of everything that God is doing. But what we can do with the glimpses that He does give us is praise the one who works all things after the counsel of His will, as Ephesians 1 says. Praise the one who works everything together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, as Romans chapter 8 says. Second, as we continue to reflect upon this, we see God's providence moves us along in His story. In so many ways, Ruth was just living her life. She's just trying to survive. She's just trying to get by. She and Naomi were, were seeking to provide and, and get food for themselves. Well, they were blessed by the Lord through Boaz, but even so, in many ways, they would have been clueless about some of the things that God was doing and about their place in the story of redemption throughout Scripture. 
They didn't know that it would be through Ruth's children, through her, her marriage to Boaz, that eventually King David would be born. Right? Ruth didn't know that. That wasn't revealed to her in that moment. They didn't know that through that eventual line of David, the Messiah would come. But they were seeking to be faithful Israelites where they were, worshiping the one true God where they were. And God was accomplishing His purposes in and through their lives to bring about His purposes in His story. The reality is that none of us know exactly where we fit and where we stand in God's grand story. But His story is bigger than our individual stories, right? We're living our lives and we're, we're, we're pieces in, this, in, the, in the great grand narrative of history that God is bringing it together. We all have our part to play. We may never know fully the, the real extent of that and the impact of that until glory, but God is doing amazing things all the time, driving things along in order to accomplish His purposes in the world. <coughs> and that's an incredible thing. There's going to come a day, there's, there's going to be people that, that hear the gospel through our, our lips that, that come from us. By God's grace, there'll be people who will come to faith in Jesus Christ through us living out our lives. And we may never even see that fruit, but God is accomplishing His purposes. He is moving things along. So often we get consumed with our own lives and we're tempted to just live our lives as if everything is about us, right? And it's all about us in our own little worlds and we're just, we're just so kind of inward focused that way. It's all about me. It's all about what's happening in my life. But if we allow ourselves just to zoom out just a little bit and consider that God is doing so many things that are much bigger than us, much bigger than our individual lives, much bigger than Pillar Fellowship, much bigger than Jeffersonville, Clarksville, and New Albany, and much bigger than the state of Indiana. What a joy and a wonder to reflect upon all that God is doing. And what joy and wonder are we missing by being so focused only on ourselves? Finally, as we consider the book of Ruth, providence in this snapshot of history here brings ultimate provision later on. This is, and this is really related to that last point. The entire history is, a, this entire story of the book of Ruth is a story of God's provision for Ruth and for Naomi in fact, if we go just consider the whole story of, of God providing food for Elimelech and Naomi in Moab, He provides wives for their sons. He provides food for Israel. He provides Ruth for Naomi. He provides food and protection through Boaz for Ruth and Naomi. And as we're going to continue to see this story develop and move up forward, we will see God's provision of that Redeemer for Ruth and Naomi, that, that near kinsman 
through which God will provide a child, and through that child will eventually come King David, which is, again, that's the immediate interest of the author of the book of Ruth as he is seeking to establish King David on the throne and legitimize and help establish his legitimacy as king. But even through that provision comes the ultimate provision that comes through the long-awaited Messiah, who is the ultimate provision for everything that humanity needs. Jesus Christ is the ultimate provision as the atoning sacrifice for all those who will recognize their sinful condition and turn to Christ in faith. Everyone who's ever walked this earth other than Jesus Christ is a sinner in need of a provision of a sacrifice. And the gospel is ultimately provided The gospel of Jesus Christ is ultimately provided and salvation is ultimately provided all because Ruth happened to happen upon a field in Israel. If that's not a cause for wonder, amazement, and worship of our Almighty God, I don't know what it is. Like, it is just an incredible thing that God has done in His provision for His people. He is at work. He is accomplishing His purposes. And now we here, sitting here in the year 2022, as believers in Jesus Christ, we get the benefits of the gospel. We get salvation through Christ. We get His provision because God was a faithful, providing God all the way back here in the story of Ruth. As we close now, let's, just, let's, let's praise Him for His work, praise Him for His provision, and thank Him for what He is still doing within our lives in the world today. Because it's the same God today, right? The same God is active today that was active back then. The God of providence and provision for our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for this story. More than a story, it is a story of, of redemption that points us forward to the ultimate redemption found in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would be refreshed within our spirits, that we would be encouraged. Lord, rejoicing, knowing that You are the providential God who oversees all. I pray that You would help us to rest in Your providence and rejoice for what You are still doing in the world. Would you pray all of this in Christ's name? Amen.